Ephesians chapter 1, page 976. We're just going to walk through it verse by verse to explain again what it means to be the church. We've been focused on that word, ecclesia, called out, and that you as those who believe in Christ are being set apart, that means holy, right? Called out, set apart by him, for him. What Ephesians 1 does is it ends with that idea. So I want you to look first at the end of what we read, verse 22. He, that's God, put all things under his, that's Jesus, feet, and gave him, that's Jesus, as head over all things to, there it is, the church, to the called out. That's to you. Notice how he is head over all things, not for the sake of all things. He's head over all things for the sake of you who are called out. This is one of the most important things to just try to imbibe and embody in your own mind. The belief that Jesus is in charge of everything all the time. Nothing is outside of his control. Nothing is going astray. Even the worst case scenario that you can possibly imagine, should it happen, it's his plan and it will be for your good eventually. This is not only what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, that all things work for the good of those who are in Christ. It's the story of Joseph in Egypt, where his brothers sold him into slavery. And his slave master's wife tried to get him to commit adultery. He ends up in jail, all so that he can become the king who will then save not only all the people, but his brothers from starvation. God had a plan. That's what it means to be the church then. That Christ is the head of all things for you as God's plan for you. Now, the rest of the text is going to give us a lot of language that I know you're familiar with. And just as we head into Christmas now, I just want it to be a reminder to you. So let's go back. Everything defining the church from chapter 3 forward. But it's all about the church. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, that's you, the church, in Christ. And Jesus is the blessing. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, this means that there is nothing that he is withholding from you in all of his power, all of his might, all of his planning. Nothing is being withheld. Every spiritual blessing, every good, every righteousness, every holiness, they are all being given to you already in the man Jesus. You might think, I don't feel it. You're right. I don't feel it either. But it's in Jesus for you. And so it is yours. The only way to receive that is to trust the promise that it is yours. And then it's true. And that trust, that trust that he's in charge, that he's working for you, that he has you in the palm of his hand, that is a greater power than anything else he could give you. We tend to want worldly powers, but this isn't about worldly powers. It's about spiritual power. And spiritual power is the ability to watch the world burn and still sing hallelujah because you know that won't be the end. Because again, he is risen. 
Alleluia. So, this is so that we should be holy. That's that set-apart word. And blameless before him. Please, when you hear the word blameless in the Bible, don't think of the word perfect. Perfect implies like kind of a moral, never-making-mistakes kind of thing. But the idea of blameless is more in line with being uh, pure of heart, And by that, I don't mean morally perfect. I mean, what you see is what you get. I mean, you're just going to admit it if you did something that's wrong. I mean, you're basically going to say, Jesus, I need you to save me. And you're not lying to Jesus when you say that. So the blamelessness is to have no guile in you. You're not going to lie to God. You're going to lie to yourself. You're going to lie to others. You're going to find yourself doing that all the time. But when God comes to you and says, you are that man, you're going to say, you're right. And again, God has blessed you in Christ by saying this to you. I'm going to make you holy and blameless. I'm not choosing you because you already are. I'm going to give these things to you. In his love, he, verse 5, predestined us for this. And then he calls it adoption to himself as sons. So he's taking you from being merely a creature to being a member of his family. He's taking you from being merely a slave to being a son in his household. This was, rest of the verse, according to the purpose of his will. If you take anything from tonight, I've kind of already said it, but it's the most important thing. God has a purpose, and that purpose is to make you his forever, and that this is good. From before you were born, he purposed this for you. Right now, he continues to purpose this for you. He will never cease purposing this for you. And for that reason, you do have a destiny. A lot of people like to talk about destiny, and then they kind of they make it up, and they don't really claim to it, and they, they watch the stars, all manner of things. You have a, a pre-destiny. It's even greater than a destiny. It's not just about what you're going to be in this life. It's about how this life's going to walk you through to the next life. You are predestined to be a son of God in eternity. This is verse 8, excuse me, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. It's about how good his grace is. His favor is toward you. It's undeserved love. It's just a reality with which this grace he has blessed us in the beloved. That's in Jesus. By the way, the word David in Hebrew means beloved. So it's kind of a play on the name David here, although kind of a play. Uh, The beloved, that's Jesus. Verse 7, in him, Jesus, we, that's you, have redemption. That means you've been bought. You've been bought with a price. You are blood bought through his blood. There it is. And then he calls that very thing, you're being bought with his blood, the forgiveness of your trespasses. Wherever you have gone astray, wherever you have missed the mark, wherever you have not been enough, wherever you have failed, wherever you have been malicious, wherever you have lied, wherever you have envied, wherever you have deceived, all of it has been bought, atoned for, paid for in the wounds of Jesus on the cross. Your sins are divorced from you as far as the east is from the west, according to, again, the riches of his grace, his favor, his mercy, his preference to do good. Which, verse 8, he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. So the wisdom that you have is the mystery of his will. We already talked about how his will is a desire to save you. That's a mystery. If you go out 
and go and try to find out whether God loves you in this world based on what you see in this world, you will run into a mystery that will crush and destroy you eventually. The idea that God is for us and not against us doesn't make any sense. He's killing all of us, most of us in very, very painful ways. Some of us get to have a lot of good things before we die, but then when we start to die, it actually gets worse because we can't figure out why it's all going so wrong. The rest of us who suffer all the way through just suffer all the way through. It's a mystery that God loves you. It doesn't look like he loves you, but he's revealed to you that he loves you in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Yeah, the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Jesus. There it is, in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time. That's the day he died. That's the day he rose. It's the day he's coming again. And it's right now you being pulled into all of that by these very words. A plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Again, restoring all that was lost. From there, we just jump down to verse 13. Uh, We didn't read quite all of it tonight. Uh, In him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, God's spell, the good news of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That verse solves so many conflicts in the history of the church. It's kind of amazing. A lot of the arguments in the history of the church, this verse just answers all of them. I'm going to read it again. In Jesus, you also, when you heard the word, right? It came from outside of you. It was about the word. It's the word that is the gospel, which is that you're saved. The gospel of your salvation. When you heard that, you believed, and that this was the Holy Spirit being a deposit in you. There it is. That's it. That's like Christianity. That's the whole thing right there. We preach Christ crucified, the Holy Spirit, who is a person of the Trinity, flies on those words through your ears into your mind and heart and regenerates you into one who trusts in God now, whereas before you were his enemy. Uh, Sealed with that Holy Spirit. We jumped from there to verse 18 then. That Holy Spirit opens your eyes, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Yeah, Your heart was in darkness, but now it is in light that you may know what is the hope to which he has, there's that word called, He has called you. He has churched you. Into what? Into hope. What's the hope? The life of the world to come. And that while you walk from here to there, you might not be deceived by here. So much so that while you're here, you stop putting all your hope in here and start putting your love into those around you while you hope for what is to come. Having your eyes enlightened by the hope of what is coming to see that what is now is only good for today. And so for today, it may as well be used for everyone who's around you that you can do good with it rather than trying to keep it for yourself or make tomorrow be what you want it to be. You have today to share what you have, knowing the hope that it's never going to go away. It's never going to really collapse, that even though this one collapses, a new one is coming. The hope to which you are called, yeah, churched again, called out. What are then the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? I mean, that's the resurrection of your body. Your inheritance is Jesus' body, which is risen from the dead. It's going to be your body. It is your body. You are that body. You feast on that body and blood every single week. When God looks from heaven, he sees you as that body. That inheritance, which now again is by faith, shall be by sight. That's the hope that's coming very soon. And verse 19, what is then the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? If he 
while we were yet enemies, did this for you. What on earth or heaven do you think he is going to hold back from you? What more could he give than he has not already given? Why on earth would he ever not give all that he has? That's the point. He has, he will, he will again. You're blood-bought. You're a son. You're a son of God. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. There is the power of the resurrection, right, is, is what this is all about and that this is yours. Seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Again, he's in charge of everything right now. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. There is nothing outside of Jesus' control. There are no accidents. It's all according to his plan. His plan is his purpose, predestining you to be chosen to rise from the dead and trust in him forever and ever. He did this, putting all things under his feet, giving him his head over all things for the sake of you, called out, right? You, the church, you, his body, there it says it, I said it a moment ago. And he is the fullness who fills all in all. In the name of Jesus, amen.